tell you, if that last song doesn't bring a smile to your face, there's something wrong with you. That's a great song, isn't it? Well, not to be too obvious, I'm sure all of you already know this, but it's a new year. 2012, can you believe it? When I was growing up in the, in the 80s, I would have thought we would have been riding around in flying cars by now. But uh, we're not quite there yet, are we? But uh, as you well know, this is the time of year when, when people are, are looking back over the previous year and, and evaluating uh, their, their lives and what they've done well and what needs improvement. And it's also a good time for us to look ahead and set new goals and make new resolutions for the upcoming year. And one thing you'll notice on TV and in magazines at this time of year, we're given a lot of suggestions on what our resolutions should be, aren't we? At this time of year, you'll see articles in magazines or segments on, on Good Morning America with uh, personal trainers and dietitians and financial advisors giving us advice on on what sort of resolutions we should make when it comes to exercise and nutrition and money management. So we have a lot of options out there, don't we, on on what sort of resolutions we should make. And uh, though making these commitments are good, and I would uh, encourage you to, to, to make those kind of commitments and honor those commitments, I too want to give you what I believe needs to be a goal that all of us set for ourselves this next year, if you haven't already. This morning, I want to give you a biblical resolution for the new year. And here it is right here. Put first things first. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Put first things first. My prayer for you and for me as individuals and for us as a church is that we would put first things first. That we would identify what things are first things in our life and what things are second things and that we would live and coordinate our calendars and our schedules and our to-do lists according to first things. Now, my goal this morning is not for us to to get rid of secondary things. I'm not saying we need to chunk all of these secondary things and not worry about them. But what I am saying is this. We need to learn to identify what are first things and what are second things. What our greatest priorities should be and what are things that are simply secondary at best. So that we can prioritize and live our lives accordingly. Now, where did I get this idea of first things first? Was it something just sort of, sounds catchy, doesn't it? Was it something I just thought of? Man, I really want to, you know, for the new year, that's a catchy title. So let me find a proof text to uh, support this catchy title. Is that what I did? No. This is a, a, a concept that comes straight out of God's word, doesn't it? It's a theme that runs throughout the Bible in one place in particular that clearly gets at this idea of first things first is Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. This is a verse that that many of you in here are familiar with and and some of you may have even committed this to memory at one time or another, but, but my hope this year 
is that this verse becomes more than just a verse you're simply aware of or a verse you have committed to memory. My hope and prayer is that this verse becomes a verse that is etched into your heart. I hope sometime this year you're sitting down and going to, you know, sitting down, getting ready to watch one of your favorite shows on TV, and, and this thought crosses your mind. You know what? I really should be spending time in God's Word. And in that struggle of what should I do? Should I watch my favorite show, or should I spend good uh, uh, quality time in God's Word? My prayer is that this verse comes to mind. And you think to yourself, you know what? I'm going to put first things first. My prayer for you this year, is that when you have plans to go out with your friends to do something, whatever it is, play golf, go shopping, go hunting, and, and, and you, you begin to think to yourself, you know what, I've really not spent a lot of quality time with my family this week. And when you're, when you're struggling with what to do, do I go out with my friends or do I spend much needed time with my family? My prayer is this verse comes to mind. And you say, you know what, I'm going to put first things first. My prayer is that sometime this year when you're thinking about making a commitment to the church, whether it's just coming to church more on a regular basis on Sunday morning or helping out with one of the ministries at church and you're thinking to yourself, I kind of want to get involved a little more and I want to serve in this church. I know that's what I need to do, but that takes place on my day off. Or I'm tired. Or there's a football game on. When, when you're struggling with what to do, I hope this verse comes to mind and you say to yourself, you know what? I'm going to put first things first. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. We're going to look at verses 19 through 25 this morning. But before we do, look down at verse 33. This is the key verse in the passage. Here Jesus says this, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The point of the passage we're going to look at today is found in verse 33. This is the key verse of the passage. This sums up what we're going to talk about today. Here Jesus tells us that God's people are to be the type of people who put first things first. And, and Jesus tells us what first things he's talking about here. He says, first things are the kingdom of God. It's the, it's the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God, God's kingdom, should be priority number one in the lives of God's people. Now, before we go any further, we need to, to further explain what the kingdom of God is, don't we? Some of you may not remember this, but a few months ago I was preaching from Acts chapter 1 and, and I gave you the definition of what the kingdom of God is. It's simply defined as this. The kingdom of God is defined as the, the rule and reign of God in the lives of His people. So to seek first the kingdom of God is to live your life under the guidance and direction of God, to live under His rule and His reign. Jesus says, if we would prioritize our relationship with God over everything else, if we would make that priority number one in our life, then everything else, all secondary things, will fall into place. 
That sounds simple, doesn't it? Sounds simple enough. Here's the problem. The problem is we don't do that, do we? We don't. We don't put first things first. We naturally drift towards secondary things. We naturally prioritize those things which are secondary. But Jesus says here, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be called by my name, you should be the type of person who puts first things first, who seeks first the kingdom of God. Now in this passage, leading up to verse 33, Jesus explains why it's difficult for us to put first things first. He explains to us why this doesn't come naturally to us, why it's easier for us, why it's easier and why we drift toward secondary things and why it's not easy to put first things first and to seek first the kingdom of God. Here's the first reason why. The first reason why it's difficult to put first things first, number one, is because earthly interests are here and now. Earthly interests are here and now. We live for the now, don't we? The things we experience on a daily basis are things that are felt and are seen and are experienced. And naturally, those things receive priority one in our lives. They do. But look at what Jesus says in verses 19 through 21. He says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves and and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, the Greek word for treasure here is actually used twice in verse 19. Jesus is literally saying, do not treasure up treasures for yourself here on earth. The image here is of someone stacking coins and hoarding away their wealth. Jesus says, don't hoard away your wealth here on earth. And, and, And the reason he gives here is not just because it's dishonoring to God, though it is, but he also mentions here, it's unwise. Earthly treasures are a bad investment because they're not permanent. That's what he tells us. Though they are seen and felt and experienced in the here and now, they are not permanent. They will either leave us or we will leave them. Jesus says here, either they'll be taken away from us or waste away. And in other parts of the the Bible, in other parts of Scripture, we're told when we die, we're going to leave it to someone else. It's not ours. It's not permanent. Therefore, it's a bad investment. I know I've mentioned this before to you, but one of my favorite stories around Christmas is the Christmas carol. I love that. I watched it again this year, and sometimes I read it, but man, Scrooge proves that earthly treasures are bad investments, doesn't he? That money makes a lousy lover. Remember, he had a ton of money, and he hoarded it away, but he hoarded it away to his own hurt because the Spirit showed him that all that wealth 
that he had kept back for himself would eventually go to someone else when he died. Truth is, our earthly treasures are are not ours to begin with, are they? Though we may store them away, they can be gone like that. Any given day could be our last. And the money that we have put away will go to someone else. George Strait said it pretty good when he said, you, you don't bring nothing with you here and you can't take nothing back. I ain't never seen a hearse with a luggage rack. It's pretty good, isn't it? He was right there. In other words, when we leave this earth, we don't take with us treasures that we have treasured up here on earth. So it's really not a good investment to spend all of your time, all of your energy treasuring up treasures here on earth because it's either going to be taken away or it'll ruin over time or we'll end up dying and leaving it to someone else. Jesus says here, the better investment the better investment of your time, of your energy, of your, of your money, of your resources, your better investment is to treasure up treasures in heaven, not on earth. But like we said, this is difficult for us, isn't it? It is. Because we live in a world that's entirely here and now. And the kingdom of God, though it is here and now, it's not entirely here and now. We have a tendency to say, I know someday in the future... Christ is going to return, and and I'll be in the presence of God, and I'll spend the rest of my days loving, worshiping, and serving Him. But right now, I have to deal with the demands of this world. You ever said that? You ever thought that to yourself? For example, when you get a bill in the mail, you feel the demands of that bill, don't you? I I need to pay this. That's why for many of us, Paying bills is, is on the top of our priority list. Why? Because it's, it's hanging over your head. You can feel it. You can sense it. You can see it. And when you finally paid it, there's this great satisfaction that comes from, hey, I got the bills paid. If your kitchen gets dirty, I know a lot of your kitchens got dirty this past week, right? When it gets dirty, you get this feeling of, I, I've got to get the kitchen clean. You can feel it. It's here and now. We can feel the demands of this world, can't we? Bearing down on us all the time, and there's this certain sense of satisfaction that we get from from marking it off the list. Well, the demands of the kingdom of God aren't always felt in this way like the demands of the world, are they? They're not. Should I pay the bills or read my Bible? Should I clean the house or spend time in prayer? Should I attend a church fellowship or should I go to the mall and get some much-needed clothes? Most of you in here, a lot of you in here, though you may not voice it, would silently agree. That cleaning house, paying bills, shopping for new clothes, whatever it is, the demands of this world have a, a greater demand on your life than Bible intake, prayer, and time spent with God's people. But here's the truth of the matter. The demands of the day are secondary. They are. Listen, God doesn't care about your bills being paid if you haven't spent adequate time in His Word. That's what's first. 
That's first things right there. He doesn't care if the house is clean, if you're not spending time on your knees. He doesn't care about your new wardrobe if you're neglecting time with his people. He wants us to put first things first. If you lay up treasures here on earth, you will eventually lose them. So instead, you need to be laying up your treasures in heaven. If we're going to be the type of people we put first things first, we have to learn that the kingdom of God is a treasure that needs to be sought like nothing else. It's first. It should be priority number one. If we, if we are going to, to be the type of people who put first things first, we are going to seek after the, the things of God and lay up our treasures in heaven. Let me ask you this morning, where are your treasures laid up? If you're unsure, Jesus gives us a great way to examine ourselves. He says in verse 21, look, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We have a saying in our, in our day that's comparable to this. We say home is where the heart is. That, that simply means wherever your heart is, wherever your, your, your affections are, that's where your home is. Jesus is saying something very similar here. He's saying wherever your heart is, wherever your desires are, whatever gets you excited, that's where your treasure is. Let me ask you, where do you spend the majority of your time? in your energy, in your money. At the ball fields? At the mall? At your job? Where? Because wherever that is, that's a good indication of where your treasure is and your heart is. That's Jesus' point. Now, once again, he's not saying you have to, you have to give everything away, that, that you can't enjoy life, but he's making the point you, where are you spending the majority of your time and your energy? Is it on earthly or heavenly things? Maybe you need to spend time this morning. It's a good time to do it. Evaluating your priorities. Evaluating your life and to see where you need to reprioritize your life to where you're putting first things first. I encourage you to do that this morning. Second reason why it can be difficult to put first things first and seek first the kingdom of God is number two, because sin has skewed our view of the world. Look at verse 22. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In this passage here, Jesus is using the eye as a metaphor for how we view the world. You know, everyone thinks they have a correct view of the world, don't they? Everyone thinks their view of the world is correct. If they didn't, they wouldn't have that view of the world. Makes sense, right? Yeah. But, but the text here tells us that there are some people who have a correct view of the world and some people who do not. There are some people who think their view is correct, but it in fact is not. And that incorrect view of the world, Jesus explains to us here, is, is what prevents people from putting first things first, from seeking first the kingdom of God. Now the question we need to answer here is, why do some have an incorrect view of the world while others do not? 
The answer is simple. It's because of sin. Sin has skewed our view of the world. Though each and every one of us in here are created in the image of God, when man first sinned against God, sin entered into the world and it messed things up. Not just in our world, but it messed things up within us. And that image of God that was created in us, it's been tainted by sin. The one way in particular we see this is the way we view the world. Before the fall, man correctly saw this world as God's world and saw his life as belonging to God. After the fall, however, man began to look at the world as belonging to men and viewed their life as their own, and as a result, man became rebellious and unruly toward God. So our minds have seriously been damaged by sin. That's why we don't think the way we should. That's why scripture is clear that our minds, they need to be renewed. They need to be transformed. When I first came to Christ, I realized that that I was not living the life that God had called me to live. But it wasn't until until I really began to study God's word and grow in my knowledge of him that I really began to see how sinful I really was. Anybody else have that experience? It's a humbling experience, isn't it? Before salvation, I didn't see myself as all that bad. Why? Because I was blinded by my own sinfulness. Sin had skewed the way I viewed myself. But after I made Christ the Lord of my life and was indwelt with the Spirit of God, He began to work through His Word and He transformed my mind and I began to view myself and the world differently. There are many in our world today whose view has been skewed by sin. And as a result, they're not putting first things first. If your view of the world is that we're all generally good and that God looks on us and is generally pleased with our, with our behavior as people, then you're not going to put a high priority on living for God and pursuing godliness. It, it, it makes sense because you're going to think... I'm not that bad. I'm not that off. If you fail to see the world as God's, and and if you fail to see your life as belonging to Him, then you're not going to live a life of love and service for Him. Maybe you're here this morning, and your view has been skewed by sin. Well, first things first, you need to make sure you're right with God. That's priority number one. Only when that happens can your perspective truly be changed. Before you can be renewed in your mind, before you can be transformed, you have to make sure you are right with God by turning from your sin and trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. Because then and only then can the Holy Spirit come in and do what He does and transform you from the inside out and correct your view of God, yourself, and the world around you. But believers, we also need to be renewed on a daily basis. There are so many competing views out there in the world trying to influence the way we 
think, and, and a lot of times those views are, are, are not godly, and, and that's why we need, to, we need this time together, and we need time during the week to spend in God's Word, and, in, and, in, uh, uh, and sit under biblical teaching and preaching, so that we can have a biblical view of the world. So I encourage you this upcoming year, and in the years to come, to put first things first and devote yourself to this book. Devote yourself to this book and rely upon the Spirit of God to bring understanding from His Word so that you can be renewed and so your mind can be renewed on a daily basis and you can be transformed from the inside out. The third and final reason why it's difficult to put first things first, number three, is because it's easy to be mastered by stuff. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus says here, all of us will have one of two masters in this life. Another way of saying this is one of two kings, one of two authorities in your life. He says one you will hate, the other you will love. One you will despise, and the other you'll be devoted to. He says your king, your master, your lord, your authority will either be God or it will be money, as the ESV translates it. But a better translation is mammon. And that word just means your stuff. Your stuff, your wealth, your toys, your money, your stuff. You will have one of two kings, one of two allegiances, one of two lords, God or your stuff. Now, once again, Jesus is not saying here you can't have stuff, is he? He's not saying here stuff is evil or stuff is bad. But he's saying you need to, you will ultimately choose between one of two masters. You will either be mastered by God or you will be mastered by your stuff. Now, here's the, here's the issue for us. Though we hate to admit it, our stuff, our money, our possessions are an appealing and attractive master, aren't they? I've heard it said recently, one of the greatest dangers to, to Christianity in the Western world is not so much a competing belief system like atheism or one of the cults or one of the major world religions. It's been said, and I believe it to be true, one of the, the greatest dangers to Christianity is materialism. One of the greatest threats is that we would be more subservient, that we would have more of allegiance to stuff than to God. Because stuff is an attractive master. This is the reason why it's difficult to, to seek first the kingdom of God. But I want you to know something, and there is no way around this in Scripture. The king of the kingdom, the master of the universe, the Lord God will not play second fiddle to no one or nothing. There's no way around that. Jesus tells us time and time again, he makes this point time and time again, he either wants all of us or nothing at all. Some of you may be thinking, well, that's just too much to ask. He's asking for too much. Well, let me put it into perspective for you. 
Imagine your spouse coming to you and saying, you know what, I, I really love you and I enjoy being married to you, but there's this other man or woman that I just love just a little bit more. But you're a close second. How would that go over? How many of you would be okay with that? None of us, right? Hopefully. We want to be the only love of our spouse's life. We don't want any rivals in this area. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's what the king of the kingdom is saying to us. He says, all or nothing at all. That's what Jesus says. He says, I am the king. I rightfully deserve all of you. Not some of you, not a part of you, but all of you. That is the lesson learned from the rich young ruler. Remember, he comes to Jesus and he says, I want to follow you. I want to know what your salvation is all about. I want to be a part of your kingdom. How did Jesus respond? Did he say, well, just pray this little prayer and you'll be good? Go on your way? No. He says, sell everything. That's pretty extreme, isn't it? Why would Jesus say that? Why would he, why would he come at this guy with that? Well, Jesus saw something in this man's heart that others couldn't see from the outside. He knew that this man was mastered by money. He knew that this man's money, his stuff, was his God. And though he wanted Jesus, he wanted him second. Jesus said, no. If you're not willing to put me first, you cannot follow me as king. And know my salvation. Jesus says, I want all of you or I want none of you. That's why seeking the kingdom of God is so difficult. Because Jesus wants it all. He doesn't allow for rivals in this area. He doesn't want to be Lord of part of your life. He wants to be Lord of your entire life. So if we're going to be the type of people who put first things first, then the king of the kingdom must be our number one priority. God must be the king of our entire lives. And like I said, it's going to be challenging for us because stuff, our stuff, is an attractive and desirable master. But like we've said already today, and like I, the point I made all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, though money does make a good servant, it makes a lousy master. It does. There's no satisfaction in our money, in our stuff, in our possessions, because the more we have, the more we want. We'll never be full, because, because all the enjoyment to be had in stuff is always outweighed by the desire for more of it. It is. I use this example in the Ecclesiastes study, but it's like drinking salt water. I read a while back that salt from the ocean contains seven times... Uh, what, what our body can safely digest. So if you were to try to live off of drinking from the ocean, you would continue to get thirstier and thirstier until you would eventually die of thirst by drinking. Isn't that interesting? So it is with those who love stuff. The more we have, the more we want. Remember the John D. Rockefeller quote? When asked how much money is enough, he said, just a little bit more. Because our money, our stuff, our possessions, 
make a lousy lover. They are a poor master. They do not bring us satisfaction that lasts. But here's the good news. Though being mastered by stuff does not bring lasting satisfaction, a life lived for God does. It does. I want to end this morning by asking you a simple question. Where do your allegiances lie? Who is the Lord of your life? Who is the king? What is the king of your life? Is it, is it created things or is it the creator? Are you captivated by creation? Or are you directing your worship and your praise toward the creator? You want to experience lasting enjoyment and satisfaction this next year and in the years to come? You want to? Then you have to put the heavenly relationship before earthly riches. That's what God requires from all of us. For us to put first things first. For stuff to be our servant and for he himself to be our master. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this.